This week, uh, I somebody had sent me a link to one of those personality tests. Uh, like it was like a Myers Briggs knockoff kind of thing. And so, if you remember Myers Briggs, that's the one where it's like you're you're one of or you're you're a combination of four letters. Some have five letters. Um, <clears throat> so so I, I took it, and it reminded me of the first time I took it. Uh, I was I was in college, uh, maybe like 19, and I remember taking it, and I was like. Man, I am such an extrovert. That's like the first letter of extrovert, introvert. And I was like, man, I'm so outgoing. Like I'm always talking with people and hanging out with people. And so, you know, you, you fill out the questions. And then my first letter, sure enough, it's an E. I'm an extrovert. And I'm talking to people. I'm like, man, I'm like always introducing people and meeting people. I'm always hanging out with people. And my friend was like, Daniel, you're, you're not an extrovert. <laughs> like, you're, you're pretty quiet, and you know you you talk. You're with people, but you're you're not that like social butterfly type of a person. I was like, what, what are you talking about? This is like I like people. Like, what are you like introverts like hate people or something? So, and I don't want to be like that. And they're like, no, no, no. Like, you're an introvert, and it's okay to be an introvert. And so, it reminded me though of um, the. It speaks to kind of the limits that self-assessment tests have, like any of the Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, DISC, spiritual gifts inventories. All of these things are things where it's kind of self-reporting. It's based on our perspective of ourself, and sometimes that's not very accurate. That sometimes we think we're a certain way, or maybe even we want to be a certain way, and the reality is we're actually something quite different. Uh, and it speaks to the need that we have for other people to be speaking into our lives. That sometimes the way that I see myself is a little bit divorced from reality and I need outside perspective to speak to me and to remind me about who I am to give me feedback of, of who I actually am and what I'm actually like. Uh, this is something that... Uh, I hope can be accomplished here in the church. This is something that I hope that when we come to church and when we worship with each other, that this is a place that you can have a few relationships where people will be speaking honestly to you and that there's the safety to do that. A place where you will let people in to speak honestly to you and to trust that they have good intentions. You know, one of the places that we, we want this to look and happen specifically is in our small groups. You know, today we're having a, a small group and ministry fair, a place where after service when we go outside, you're going to have a chance to meet some of the small group leaders, some of our ministry leaders, get to know them a little bit, and join one of their small groups. And our hope is that in these different ministries and in these different groups, that when you go there, that you make connections with people and that there are ministries that, that are relationships that are safe enough that you can actually invite in feedback. That you can actually say, who do you see that I am? How do you see that I'm gifted? How do you see that I need support? And I hope that as a church, this is something that we can pursue together. I think as we talk about discipleship and when we talk about how discipleship is supposed to look, discipleship always happens in community. It's not something that happens by itself. It's not something that we do in a solitary state. 
It's somewhere that we have to be with other people and we have to invite other people into this relationship and into this process. And so these ministries that we're going to be seeing and talking about after service, these are expressions of the truths that we see that Scripture saying about discipleship and how we're meant to grow in our faith. So we talk about this and we talk about discipleship happening in community. I want to read a couple of verses that, that we just talked about in Ephesians 4. We'll, we'll have these up on the screen, but I'm going to start in verse 16. So we look at this in Ephesians 4.16. This gives us a description of what the church is supposed to look like and how the church should relate to Christ and also how the church should relate to itself. It says, from him, being Jesus, the whole body, being the church, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This verse here is describing that there is a connection that we each have, every believer has with Jesus. Jesus is portrayed here as like the head, the source of direction, the source of, of power, the one who is uniting all of the body. And then it describes the body as the church as we're being bound together, both in our, in our relationship to Jesus and also in our service to each other. It says each of us has a role to play. That each of us has been gifted in a certain way that we provide a service to each other. And it describes this, this organism as something that, that is self-sustaining. Like this is something that it's describing as true of the church, something that is not true of the individual. It's describing and saying, here the church feeds itself and builds itself up into maturity. We could not say that about an individual Christian. That a Christian by itself does not feed itself, does not grow itself and grow into maturity. But the, the Christian is meant to be a part of and united with the body to grow into maturity. That we each have a role to play that each of us has a design and a purpose that we're meant to operate in in relationship to each other. A, a passage that, speak, that Paul writes a lot about this is in 1 Corinthians 12. In, in this, in verse 18, he says, But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Paul, Paul is writing here, and he's continuing this metaphor in a, in a different letter, and he's saying each of us is a different body part. And the comforting thing is, is God designed it that way. That God brought you in and gave you certain gifts, and he placed you at, uh, in a community for a specific reason. That God designs the church to operate in a certain way and he empowers believers to, to operate in a certain capacity with a certain role and it's a function that, that he's designed and done deliberately. As, we, as I think about this, there are aspects of this that I find encouraging and affirming. There's aspects of this that I find challenging. It's, it encourages me thinking that each one of us is valuable. 
Like each one of us has a purpose, each one of us has a gift that we operate in, and there's something that we bring that we could not just be removed and replaced by any other person. Like there's something unique and something distinct that you bring to the body of Christ. And there's something that, that's affirming about that. There's also something that's challenging about that and thinking that if I was to withhold my gifts, that the rest of the body can suffer because of that. That if I was to restrain myself, if I was to choose to disengage, if I was to choose to leave, that there, there becomes a gap that the rest of the body faces. There's, there's something affirming and challenging about this. So if, if you are thinking about yourself and you're thinking, man, I look at myself and I start wondering, the truth is, what am I good at? Like, what value do I actually bring? Does, what, it, what is it that my presence actually contributes to, to the church? Because when I look at myself, I see the things that I'm not good at. And, and if you're in that place, the encouragement that we can take is, is God promises, no, there is something unique that I've empowered you to do and that you have a purpose. Sometimes when, when I see people, um, especially people with the gift of generosity, um, I'm, there's someone in my mind, uh, uh, an old colleague of, of Christina's at work, who every time you see her, she brings a box of cookies, and, and she gives that to you. And her house, it's like the house, the front door is always open, like people are, are welcome to come in. She does, she gives so much of her time to go and, and support people. She's driving people to the doctor's office. She's spending so much of her time supporting her family and childcare. She, she lives out in like the San Fernando Valley, and there's been times that we've needed childcare, and she's driven, driven to our house and watched our kid. She gives so much of her time and her resources for other people, and I'm like, I'm not like that. I, I can't do that. And when I see someone like that and people who, who have that gift, it's easy for me to say, what is it that I bring? Because I, I can't keep up with that. And it's, it's easy to start saying, man, do I need to... Do, am I supposed to be on that person's level? Am I supposed to be able to be as generous as that person? And there's something to say that we can grow in generosity, but it's also something to say that that is that person's gift, and I don't have to have that gift. That it's okay that I'm not as generous as the person who has the gift of generosity, because I bring something else. And it's okay for us to trust and value the gift that God has given us, even if it's different than the gift that maybe we want. The, the challenge to this then becomes is sometimes when we see our gift and we say, why doesn't anyone else have this gift? That my gift is the gift. And sometimes we can look at ourselves, we can look at other people and say, I'm the only one who's doing this. Why aren't other people keeping up with me? And this becomes a breeding ground for self-righteousness. This becomes a place where we say, my gift is the ultimate expression of ministry, 
and other people need to be keeping it up and be, need to be on my level of how I'm living out my gift. What's hard about this is other people are doing ministry that we don't see. And maybe even more than that, in this place, we don't have the maturity to value the ministry other people are doing. That other people are doing things and maybe we just don't understand how valuable and necessary it is. That we are all different parts of the body and we need the different parts of the body. What we need to do is we need to come back to the place and remind ourselves that though I bring a gift, though I provide something that's needed for the body, my needs outweigh the gifts that I bring. I have more needs and I am more dependent on the body than the difference that I make. And when we come back to this place, this is the place where we can say, I can live in community, I can bring something where I can love people freely and use my gift, but I remain united with them because I need these people too. This is a place that we need to be careful. But this is where discipleship can happen. It's in this setting, it's in this setting of community where discipleship was meant to happen. The church was made to be one. We were made to be united. But in that unity, there is diversity in the gifts that we have, and we are dependent on each other. As we continue, if our needs for mutuality are left unmet, this becomes a situation where we become vulnerable. This is a dangerous place to be if we resist letting our needs being met by the body. Paul continues, and I'm going to jump back uh, from in, in Ephesians 4 now to, to verse 14. Here he's making a contrast between the people who are living in community and the people who, who are choosing to be apart from it. He says, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wave of teach, every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. He describes here people who, he gives this mix of metaphors. He describes infants, he describes waves and wind, and he's describing here people who are living apart from community, a self-reliant Christian. And the, the image, it conjures up this picture of like a cork in the waves. And you can just imagine as the wind blows and as waves run over this cork, this cork is passive, it's untethered, and whatever force acts upon it, it, it directs it. And so it can get tossed from one wave and then go into a different direction, and, there's no, and it responds completely to what's happening to it, and it has no control over where it goes. In contrast to the connected to the believer, the self-reliant believer, this person is the, it's my faith is a private matter. You know, it's between me and God. I have my quiet time in the morning. I read my Bible, and that's when Jesus himself disciples me, and that's good enough. It's in this place where we are saying, I, Jesus can teach me by himself, and I don't need anything else. I am sufficient by myself. William Temple, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, he writes that pride is always the root 
of spiritual failure. So it's in this place where we don't need anyone. This is one of the most dangerous places that we can be as a Christian. Where I don't need anyone else, and this is a setup for us. This, this verse, Ephesians 4, verse 14, it, it's saying that we can be subject to, to schemes, to manipulation. That it's describing as though like any new teaching that comes along, it swings you from one direction to the other. And so it's very easy for us to exaggerate doctrine, to go to theological, theological excess, to start thinking, I can live one way, and oh, now I'm hearing something else, and so I'm going to quickly change directions and, and go to an extreme and something else. What it, what it makes me think of are, are fad diets. You know, like you ever see like the different things that come up, like where at one point it was like, eat a bunch of Subway sandwiches, and you'll be like Jared and lose a bunch of weight. Right, and then you know we find out about Jared's private life, and not not that anymore. And then it's like, okay, fat is bad, so get rid of everything. Needs to be low fat or non-fat, and then it becomes no fat is good. Stick a stick a butter in your coffee, and then you'll lose weight. And different things come up, and it's like we're swinging from one direction to another, and doing putting all these different things in different extremes in our body, and hoping that one of these things will make me lose a bunch of weight, and I'll be healthy. And in this setting where we're swinging from one direction to another in our faith, it sets us up in a situation where then we can become easily manipulated. Where I'm seeing failure here and failure here, and will someone give me the answer for how I'm supposed to mature in my faith? Because the truth is, when I'm self-reliant, I'm stuck. And so then this sets me up in a situation where someone can come along and say something that sounds very right, I think, and, and we pursue that and we accept it and we become vulnerable. We become in a place where we can let our guard down and we can be swept away. You know, it's something that where I see this often happening is often in connection to shame. Um, shame is a very powerful form of manipulation, a very powerful form of control, it is a great motivator. You know, you think of if you've ever, if you've raised a kid, have you ever been tempted or maybe said, good kids eat their vegetables? You know, this is something where we're trying to get our kid to eat the vegetables and so telling them, you will be good like the attribute of good is, becomes a part of your identity if you're eating vegetables. Good kids don't stay out late. Bad kids cheat. And we start saying these things where there, and the truth is, what is moral about eating vegetables? There's, there's nothing. But, but we start telling people this, that, and we, we use honor and shame to tell people and get them to do what we want them to do. And truth is, in the church, don't we do this as well? We use good and bad. Another word maybe we substitute good for is spiritually mature, right? Because spiritually mature people, they don't raise their voice. Spiritually mature people are always patient. Spiritually mature people don't struggle with doubt about God's faithfulness. 
And we start saying these things, and what it teaches us is in the shame, we need to hide who we really are, and only on the outside can we, do we express what our faith should look like. We start resisting the gospel and we become captive to these distortions, things that sound like they should be right. Like, shouldn't, if I'm mature, shouldn't I not wrestle with God being faithful? Shouldn't I be fully confident of that? And these things that sound like they should be right, but aren't. It's in this place that we lack the protection of a community. When you think of the, the famous verse in Ecclesiastes 4 where a strand, a cord of three strands is not easily broken, we lack that protection when we're self-reliant. And we quickly stay in this place of, of immaturity, of, of infancy, where we lack the discernment to understand where, where teaching goes awry. See, living in this disconnected place, outwardly it can look right. We know the right things to say and we know how Christians are supposed to act. But if we're honest with ourselves, internally it looks very different. That our insides don't match our outsides. And so we respond to shame and we do our best to meet internally that standard, but there is a gap. Richard Lovelace, in The Dynamics of Spiritual Life, he says that grace comes from God, but it is also conveyed along horizontal channels. On the inside, we are still holding on to the belief that I can conquer my sin and I can mature myself, that I am able to change myself and I have control over that. And this inevitably leads us to failure. Guarding ourselves from community denies the reality that we need outside help. And the foundations of the Christian faith is that we need outside help. And so we come to Jesus in the moment of faith where he, we accept his outside help, and we are called to continue to live by that, that we need outside help, and that becomes the body. And if we resist that, then we very quickly hit a ceiling where we don't grow anymore, where we remain stagnant. And it becomes very easy for us after we have experiences of people trying to manipulate us, people trying to scheme us, where now we become more distrusting and we become bitter and we become more self-righteous. This is not how we're called to live. The mature Christian is not a self-reliant one. We are called to live with other people in community. Our calling is different. Discipleship instead happens in community, but it also requires honesty. Let me read uh, from verse 15 for you. Instead, speaking the truth in love... We will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. Here, he's, he, Paul is making a contrast between honesty and the deception that we saw in uh, for, for those who are looking to scheme and control uh, the, the solitary Christian. 
this was a verse as, as a uh, kid growing up in Christian school, this was our favorite verse to use as, as an excuse to make fun of someone, um, where I'm, I'm you know, just going to speak the truth in love and tell you you're an ugly jerk. Um, and this, was, this is something, though, that this is not, this is not what's in view here. Uh, besides just the clue that it says, like, speaking the truth in love, um, this, this is saying, uh, I am going to enter into discipling moments with you and speak the gospel to you. Like, I am going to remind you of the truths that are, that are about you because of what Jesus has done for you. Um, Wendell Berry, who he, he's writing this as a critique of higher education, um, but this is still relevant to, to the church. He says, um, the worth and integrity of an institution depends on its willingness to call things by their right name. Let me say that one more time. Um, the worth and integrity of an institution depends on its willingness to call things by their right names. And if we were to say the church is valuable, the church makes a difference in how we live, and if we were to say that we really do believe the gospel and proclaim those, those truths, we need to actually speak them to each other. We need to actually say, I, this, is, this is what, let me remind you of what the gospel says is true about you. In, in Colossians 3.16, he says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. We need to be reminding ourselves and reminding each other of what God promises each other and what he says is true. So imagine, imagine when your fellow believer, when you notice their shame that they are carrying, the need for us to remind each other about the fullness of forgiveness that we can find in the cross. That, that when we are carrying that shame, that we need to be reminded that the cross is sufficient to forgive all things. And that shame isn't what defines us anymore. In, in the moments where we feel like we need to perform religiously and convince each other that we are very spiritual, there is a need for us to remember that God's love is unconditional. And that we don't have to fake it. That we are still fully accepted and fully loved. In the times where... We want security and we want to know that we are going to be okay for the rest of their lives and there's going to be stability and that we will all be safe and, and provided for. We need to be reminded that God is faithful and that he has a purpose for us. And that that control that we think we have is just an illusion but we have someone better that we can be putting our trust in. We need the reminder of what the gospel says is true. We need to do it in ways that can be received, ways that are done for the other person's benefit, 
but we need to speak the truth. We need to say things by their real names. We need to say the gospel and its manifestations by its real names. This is what we need from each other. These are very powerful moments that we can enter into discipleship. This is what, what discipleship and community should look like. These words, when we speak, these moments that we choose to enter into, we don't do this for control. We do this for the other person's benefit. So this isn't a moment where it's like, that person talks too much and annoys me. I just, I need to remind them, uh, what's, a, what's a humility? Hey let, hey, let me tell you something about humility, friend. The, these aren't these moments. The, these are moments where we say, if you continue doing this, do you see what the result of this is going to be? I'm not taking ownership over your decision, but I want you to understand, if you keep making these choices, if you keep pursuing this lifestyle, do you see what the result of this will be? My aim here is to protect, not to control. And can we invite people into that? Can we invite people, people's protection over our lives? Can we offer to provide that for others? Can you imagine if as a church we pursued this? Can you imagine if you had some friends here at church that when you shared life with them, that you could count on them in safety, in their grace and, and trust to freely talk about what's going on in your life and to be willing to submit to their protection? Can you imagine the freedom that would give you to live out your gifts and the role that you are meant to play in the body of Christ? Can you imagine providing that for another person? Can you imagine being willing to speak honestly, to say something to someone as uncomfortable as that can be, but to be willing to risk saying that and saying, I, I'm going to speak this to you because I love you and I want to protect you. Ephesians 4 is saying that it's in this setting that this is where discipleship happens and this is how it's meant to happen. But it doesn't happen when we're by ourselves. It doesn't happen when we're just relying on ourselves, but it requires a community around us and that this is the design that, that God had for the church. We are called to mature collectively together, and that happens in our interactions with each other. As, as I think about us moving into the season where we're launching our small groups, I hope that this is what we can pursue together. I hope that you can identify a few relationships that you're willing to risk this on. As you meet with some of the small group leaders today, uh, get to know them a little bit. You know, ask them questions, hear, hear their heart, and uh, these, are, these are good people who will love you and will care for you. Um, but, but consider asking yourself, can I be willing to risk speaking the truth to people? Can I be willing to receive the truth as it gets spoken to me? Uh, I, want, I want you to, to meet one of our small group leaders. Um, Luke, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you on up here.
Um, Luke is starting a new small group, um, but as you come up, can you, can you just introduce yourself, uh, and then we'll, you'll share a little bit about small group. Sure. Hi, everyone. My name is Luke. Uh, my wife, my spouse, Amy, somewhere in the audience. Uh, we also have two boys, Ethan and Christopher, uh, who are 10 and 12 and 10. And uh, we've been at Ambassador uh, somewhere around eight or nine years. Luke, you're starting a, a new small group. Uh, it's going to be kicking off uh, this week. And I'm just, can you just share with us a little bit about your heart for, for small group ministry? Yeah, I, um, you know, some things that I value about small group, it's, it's simply because it's small. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, the large group format is great for a lot of things, but, you know, it's, it's kind of scary, right? Like, you know, one person here, 200 people staring back at you. There's, uh, there's um, you know, something about being in a, in a smaller format. It's more personal. Um, you can speak more frankly, and you can connect um, in that way. I think um, it comes from a place of, of joy also. Um, uh, I had this quote that I remembered uh, from the... Uh, Olympic runner Eric Little, right, who's, who said that God made him fast, and when he runs, um, he feels God's presence. And I think it's in that small group setting that, that I feel God's presence, because as I see and I'm conversing with someone, and they're sharing about how God is transforming their lives, you know, that's, that's where I... I I feel his presence where, I, where I'm witnessing the power of God. So that's why I value. Luke, when you're, when you're in small group, um, there's, there's a purpose to the time. Um, it's not, there's, there's value in fellowship, but there's also discipleship uh, can require some intentionality. Can you speak a little bit about uh, just what are, what are the expectations that you, you have for yourself or even for your group of, of what you're doing during that time? Yeah, I think, um, uh, I think something that we are hoping for and, and expecting is that people come with an open heart. I think um, the last few years have been tough for a lot of folks. And the, the natural inclination is to kind of pull away or be very guarded um, because of just, you know, world events and uh, being a little bit more separated. And um, our, our desire is for people to come and, um, you know, kind of be open to that, be open to receiving a new relationship in your life. Uh, which can be very scary sometimes, and we 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 will do our best to try to create a a environment that allows that that is kind of safe and welcoming, um, but it, it requires the individuals also to open up. So um, that's our our biggest, I guess, expectation. I guess the second thing is um, our small group is a little special because we don't intend on having it forever. <laughs> so me and Amy have only committed to one year, and we've kind of put a, a time box around it. Um, so we're, we're not gonna continue it uh, most likely, likely beyond this one year. Uh, 
Um, so the idea is to come with a certain level of intention and um, understanding that we have only a limited amount of time together. And um, we're hoping that that breeds uh, the right balance of an environment that allows for a community to be built. Luke, you're talking about um, there being openness in, in the group, coming with an open heart, uh, also coming with a sense of, of being deliberate, knowing that uh, there's the reality is we have a limited time with, with each other. Can you, can you share us about, tell us about a time where a small group has impacted you and how it's helped you grow in your faith? Yeah, I think um, small group, our small group that we were a part of for many years, um, uh, was uh, amazing for us. So uh, there's been a, a lot of traumatic events in my family. So uh, bef before, right before I came to Ambassador, my, my mom passed away from pancreatic cancer. And that was very traumatizing for me. Uh, very, you know, she kind of left us very early on. And then uh, for Amy, her, her brother also passed away. Uh, you know, relatively early. And um, the small group that we were a part of uh, was, you know, amazingly supportive and kind of helped us through that time. So we're very grateful to our small group um, for that. And uh, I think we were feeling very comfortable kind of where we're at. And um, Daniel kind of approached me and the church kind of asked for uh, kind of small group leaders to emerge to start new small groups and so uh, both me and Amy our natural inclinations are to kind of be in the back <laughs> and not draw any attention to ourselves um, and so we're kind of taking a step of faith uh, because you know by any accounts like we are not model small group leader citizens <laughs> um, just so that you know you you know that you know, we're here not, you know, with eloquent words or, or things, you know, we're, we're here just to kind of be empty vessels and um, hopefully for God to kind of work through us. And so here's the first step. Mm. That's why we're here. Luke, I'm super excited for your group. I'm excited for the, the things God is going to be doing as, as your new group forms uh, and those new relationships. So thanks for, thanks for sharing with us and thanks for leading this group. Um, as, as we, uh, once we finish service, I just want to invite you to, to chat with Luke a little bit and you'll, you'll be able to see some of the other small group leaders and ministry leaders uh, out on the table, uh, the tables out on the plaza. Uh, let, me, let me pray for us. Um, I want to pray. Um, I want to pray a poem over you. Uh, this is by Henley H. Barnett um, about about the truths today. Uh, Lord, from the cowardice that shrinks from new truths, from the laziness that is content with half truths, and from the arrogance that thinks it knows all truth, O God of truth, deliver us. Amen.